Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. ...week of Jesus, and it culminates today uh, as we talk about uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And just to, to look back at where we have been, we started in, in week one uh, talking about the Last Supper. We saw Jesus taking uh, the cup and declaring that this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Right? And he's looking forward to the, the, the penalty or the, the sacrifice that he is going to make on, on the cross for each one of us, the blood that he's going to shed. And now that we uh, celebrate the, the sacrament of the Last Supper, remembering what Jesus did and looking forward to his return. Then in week two, we talked about uh, at, right after the, the, the Last Supper uh, from the, the story in Matthew from the, the Garden of Gethsemane to when Jesus is on trial before Pilate, and we called it from garden to governor, and we saw that in in the face of the deserting disciples and these lying uh, witnesses and these false accusations um, and this uh, betrayal by the crowd and the the slander of the, the Jewish leaders that Jesus endured the cross. He endured, and Peter even uh, when Jesus is being arrested, he pulls out a sword and cuts off the ear of, of one of the, the people that are arresting him, right? And Jesus says, put the sword away, heals the guy's ear and says, don't you know that I could call down a legion of angels at any moment and be done with this? Yes. And yet Jesus, in the book of Hebrews, says, for the joy set before him endured the cross. He endured all this, all this injustice for you and for me. And then last week, Pastor Cameron talked about the, the crucifixion of our Lord and the significance of this death that took the penalty of our sins and, and made a way for us to be restored to the Father. Such an, an awesome, amazing teaching. And now today we are going to finish uh, this narrative that we find specifically looking at the, at the, the, uh, the passion narrative from the Gospel of Matthew because luckily... Luckily, the the story does not end with a crucifixion. It does not end on that dark and horrible, yet glorious day that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ died on the cross. Because today, we celebrate his resurrection. But what we see at the end of the story, where Cameron left off last week, that nobody is expecting a resurrection. Nobody is expecting a resurrection. Right? Uh, the disciples are not expecting a resurrection. They are actually hiding in the Gospel of John. It says they were behind closed doors for fear of the Jewish leaders. Right? They weren't expecting a resurrection. They were hiding so that they wouldn't be crucified next. And they're trying to figure out what are we supposed to do now? This, we thought he was the Messiah. We thought that he was going to be the, the one that brought salvation to Israel. And they didn't know what to do. And the women didn't uh, expect a resurrection. They, uh, in, in Matthew, it says the two Marys are on their way to the, the tomb 
to uh, anoint his body, to finish the, the burial uh, process, which was the, the custom of the Jews, and they're wondering who's going to roll the stone away for us. The women were not expecting a resurrection. Right? And then we see the, the Jewish leaders, they're not expecting a resurrection. What they're expecting is that the, uh, the disciples are going to come and steal the body. Right? And they even admit to understanding that Jesus wasn't talking about the temple when he said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. They had some sort of an understanding that he was talking about himself because they, what do they say? They say, you know, if they come and steal his body, then the second deception will be greater than the first. And so they set guards to guard the tomb. They were not expecting a resurrection. And in this, see, in this moment of time after Friday, after the crucifixion, we see the despondency and the lack of hope and the lack of courage in the disciples. Because for them, a crucifixion wasn't enough. Just a, a crucifixion was not their hope. They had seen thousands of people in that area, in that time, had been crucified. They had seen other people who had claimed to be the Messiah, who got stamped out and run over, right? The, the, the fact that he was crucified was not enough. And I'm not saying in any way that the crucifixion of Jesus is not incredibly significant, that it's not absolutely necessary for Jesus to die as a sacrifice for us, because it absolutely was. But a crucifixion alone was not enough, because it is the resurrection that proves that Jesus is who he said he is. Right? And it is a resurrection that gives us hope for our own resurrection. It is the resurrection that proves that our faith is not in vain. And the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. The resurrection is vitally important. And J. Rodman Williams, a Hey, what happened? Hey, what happened? Hey, uh, nobody can see my slides but me. They are so good. <laughs> um, Ruben's on it. So, uh, J. Rodman Williams is a, a charismatic theologian. He says in his, uh, his systematic theology uh, that the Christian faith is null and void, empty of all significance, if Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead. All right? The Christian faith is null and void. If Jesus did not raise from the dead. It is absolutely imperative that we believe in an actual, physical resurrection of Jesus. This is not optional doctrine for us. It's not just a fun story, right? It's, this is reality. And we believe in a resurrection not merely because the Bible tells us so, right? We all sang that song in, in Sunday school. Uh, but we believe what the Bible says because the authors of Scripture believed it. Matthew, who wrote the, the gospel we're digging into today, he was an eyewitness of all these events. Right? He walked with Jesus for three years. He saw him heal people. He saw him cast out demons. He saw and heard Jesus teaching. Right? He uh, was there at the triumphal entry when Jesus comes with celebration into Jerusalem and he was there when the crowds turned on him and he was handed over to the Romans and he was crucified. And he was one that was hiding behind locked doors. 
and yet a few days later is out boldly proclaiming the risen Lord to the very people that he was hiding from, right? As he as he proclaims the as he proclaims the resurrection. I'm sorry, I was distracted by the overhead. Pay no attention to the re- to that. All right. Um, and so we see Matthew and then Mark and Luke, they, they uh, interviewed eyewitnesses and they believed in a, a resurrection. And we see John, another disciple of Jesus, he who, who wrote the fourth gospel, believed in the, the resurrection. Right? And Paul, who was an enemy of the cross, who was an enemy trying to, to stamp out this Christian cult, encounters the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus, completely changes his life. And this Paul, who was trying to stamp Jesus out, becomes its greatest evangelist right? as he travels the world proclaiming a resurrection and ends up dying because of that belief. And James, the brother of Jesus, like what would Jesus have to do to convince his brother? You know, what would what would my brother have to do to convince me that he is the Son of God? He would have to do something pretty spectacular. <laughs> anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, but but James, this kind of doubting half brother of Jesus, in the end believes in a resurrection. And all these guys who write this and proclaim the resurrection throughout the known world are willing to die, to give their lives for this reality of a resurrection. And that is why I believe in a resurrection. Right? And we are called to be witnesses. And we see in the book of Acts from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth that the, uh, the proclamation of a resurrection rings out everywhere the disciples go. And so today, we celebrate this resurrection as an absolutely vital part of our faith. And in, at the end, after, after we go through just an overview of Matthew 28, we're going to look at two uh, significant outcomes and things that, that uh, we know and can rest in because of the resurrection. Amen? Amen. All right, here we go. So, the resurrection, starting in Matthew 28, picking up right where Cameron left off. says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. And so here at the end of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, we see uh, an encounter with angels. Right? And if we remember back to the beginning of Matthew's account, uh, an angel appears in chapter 1 and chapter 2 to Joseph to declare to him, to tell him what is happening with Mary, who he's betrothed to. Right? And so the, the gospel begins and ends with these divine messengers who are sent to earth to make the purposes of God known to humanity. 
Right? And we see that God sends these angels when there's something important that he doesn't want us to miss or that he doesn't want uh, humanity to misunderstand. Right? And so again, at the end of the gospel, we see God sending his angels to alert the people to what is happening in the spiritual realm. And we see that this angel shows up and there is a, an earthquake and he rolls back the stone. And the... Uh, this, this idea that he didn't roll the stone out uh, of the way so that Jesus could get out. Right? Jesus was not trapped in the tomb. He's not stuck there. But he rolled the stone away to show the disciples, to show the women where this Jesus, who was dead, had lain. And now, revealing an empty tomb. And so it's, it's exciting, right? It's crazy. There's an earthquake, and this angel shows up, and there's a light, and uh, Jesus is alive. The, the tomb is empty, and all of a sudden these guards fall over because they're freaked out by this angel, right? And so we see this amazing angel astonishes the guards and faint as if they were the ones that were dead and not Jesus, right? It's a, it's a shocking turn of events. The ones who had put Jesus to death were the ones who appeared dead. And Jesus is gone. And it's interesting, I think, that the, the women are the, the first witnesses to uh, the, the resurrection of Jesus. Right? And I think that it, certainly in this time frame, if this story was just being made up, if they were just trying to fabricate a story about a resurrection, certainly they wouldn't have used women as the, the first witnesses. Because at this time, women, their testimony wasn't even allowed in courts. Right? It was, it was not, this was not a good choice if you're making up the story. Right? But women are the faithful ones in this story, right? The disciples have deserted him and left, but the women are at least coming to, to honor the memory of Jesus. And in that faithfulness, even in the midst of that doubt, in, because of their faithfulness, they are, Jesus reveals himself to them, and they are called to be the, the first witnesses, the first evangelists or the apostles uh, of Jesus. All right, and so starting in verse 8, he says, So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and with great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And so we see the, the women encountering Jesus. They'd, they'd seen the, the empty tomb, and now they encounter the risen Lord. And their response, I think through their response, Matthew, the author of this gospel, is trying to convey what all people's correct response should be when they encounter Jesus. Right? It, says, it says that they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And how would they take hold of his feet but if they, uh, they laid down prostrate before Jesus, bowing down before the risen Lord? That is the correct response to encountering Jesus then, and it's the correct response for us today when we encounter the risen Lord, that we bow down and we worship him. And so Jesus says to them, "'Go and tell my brothers.'" And so the, the angel told them to, to go and tell. 
And Jesus now tells the women to, to go and, and tell. That is the, that's the second thing that we should do, right? We encounter Jesus, we worship him, and then we go and we tell others about this good news that we have encountered. And Jesus says to, to them, tell my brothers. And who is he talking about with the brothers? Anybody? Who could it be? Who could it be? Remember that song? Is the disciples, correct. Well done. Two gold stars. Um, tell, I give my kids gold stars all the time for, for, the, for doing good things, but I, I just told them the other day that it actually resets every day, and so they don't have, they're not building up. I, anyway, so, but you have two gold stars for today, so enjoy them. Um, and so he tells his brothers, the disciples, he, he calls the disciples his brothers. Right? And these same disciples who had d- deserted him and betrayed him in the, in the time of his greatest need, who had run away from him, right? Peter had even denied that he even knew him. Right? Jesus says, tell my brothers. And there's this like, right, a, a, a family, that's like a closeness, a familial closeness. Is that a word? I don't know. And, uh, and, so, and it just shows Jesus' love and his patience for these people, for these disciples that had betrayed him. Right? And, and the reality is that you and I have done the same thing. We have rejected and turned away and run away from Jesus. And yet, he still calls us brothers and sisters and still calls us to relationship with him so that he can bring us back into right relationship with God the Father. And so he says, go and tell the disciples to meet me in Galilee. And Matthew 28:11 says while they were going behold some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. And so I think it's really interesting, right, that these guards who were posted to ensure that they could avoid any sort of resurrection hoax, right, they become evangelists to go and tell the the Jewish leaders that the tomb is empty. Like that, that's an interesting turn of events, right? Now the soldiers, their security to keep this thing quiet, right? Now they are coming and proclaiming that the tomb is empty. And not only that, it says that they told all that happened. They're like, there's an earthquake, and there's a really scary angel, and there's this bright light, and we kind of fainted. And uh, and the body is not in the tomb anymore. What are we going to do? Right? And so these guards that were supposed to ensure that the, the body doesn't go missing are now proclaiming this reality. And it would have really, in hindsight, right, been easier for the, the Jewish leaders to, to fabricate a, a story about what had happened to the body if there weren't Roman centurions guarding the tomb. But now they're forced you know, to, to continue the deception. Right? They, we, they, they bribed Judas a few chapters before giving him money to betray Jesus. And, and now they had an empty tomb and they are, are paying off the soldiers. 
right? And they're willing, they're like, you know, if this come, if trouble happens, you know, if Pilate hears about this, don't worry, we'll, we'll, we'll be willing to pay him off too. We just need to make sure that this stays quiet. And so we see the, the Jewish leaders doing the exact same thing that they accused Jesus of doing. Right? In Matthew 26, verse 63 and 64, the Jewish leaders had accused Jesus of deceiving the people. And yet now, here are all these Jewish leaders paying bribes, deceiving all the people. Right? And in the, in the face of a resurrection, in the face of the appearance of an angel, in the face of an empty tomb, they're still unable to submit to this reality that Jesus is alive. And if this comes, oh, I didn't read this part. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. And then the, the final section uh, says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." And so the remaining disciples, the 11 disciples, meet Jesus. And what do they do immediately? The same thing that the women did. They fall down and they worship him. This is the correct response. But interestingly, it says, but some doubted. Right? And the, the word translated doubted here is the same word that we find in Matthew 14, 31, where Peter is walking on the water. He begins to sink, and Jesus asks him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And so this idea of, of doubt carries the, the connotation of a wavering faith or uncertainty or hesitation. And we don't know exactly why they were doubting. Right, The resurrected Lord was standing right in front of them. But maybe they were just being cautious, right? You know, they had recently been pretty let down by this triumphal entry. Things looked like they were going pretty well. And perhaps they were just being cautious, trying not to get their hopes up again. Or maybe they were just absolutely overwhelmed. How could it be that, this, the, that Jesus, who was dead three days ago, is now standing in front of us? You know, maybe they just weren't able to believe that it was true. And maybe in the face of, of this commission that Jesus gives them, they're doubting themselves. Right? They had all recently abandoned the Messiah. They'd all run away. They'd all betrayed the very Jesus that now stands before him. And so it doesn't say exactly why they doubted, but I think the point is that doubt among the disciples does not stop Jesus from giving them the Great Commission. Right? And there's times in all of our lives where we struggle with doubt and maybe we can't figure everything out and there's things about the greatness and the glory of God that we just can't quite get all of our ducks in a row. Right? And we're like, well, once I get this stuff figured out, then I will serve Jesus. Then I will go and do what he has called me to do. Right? But we cannot let doubt disqualify us right? and just because we have questions. 
And because even we see in this story the disciples who came face to face with the resurrected Lord, even they had doubts. But Jesus trusted them and sent them out to preach the good news. And so, here in this scene, we have, you know, the, in, in a way, the, the essence of Christianity. We have the, the, the church uh, there, you know, bowing down, worshiping Jesus. Yeah, there's some lingering doubts, but the authority has, has been given to Jesus, and because of that authority, he sends us out. And they're worshiping in the midst of this call. And I think it's interesting, you can go back and listen to my series on loving, learning, leading, because I spent a bit of time on this, but it's Jesus' authority and not their own faith that empowers the commission of the disciples. It it says, therefore, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. He is the cosmic king, the cosmic ruler, and he is now ascending to the right hand of God the Father. And because all things have been given into his hand, he, he uh, sends out his disciples and he sends out you and me. Not because we're great, but because Jesus is great. Amen. All right, so what does this resurrection mean? What is, why is it such a great hope for you and I? The resurrection is incredibly significant because, as we said, it proves that Jesus is who he said he is. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus said that he was the Son of Man, the Son of God. We even saw demons declaring that they knew that he was the Son of God. We see at, uh, at Jesus' baptism, God, the Father say, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And at the crucifixion, there is the centurion that said, certainly this was the Son of Man, or the Son of God. And in Romans 1.4, Paul says this, that he was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's this resurrection that declares Jesus' deity and announces that he has defeated death and has defeated sin. And by believing in Jesus' sacrificial and atoning death and his resurrection from the dead, we are saved. We are brought from death to life. And so our response, because of the resurrection from the dead, is that we bow down and worship Jesus, the Son of God, who has overcome death and sin, who has purchased our redemption. And because he has proved himself to be God, we submit to his authority. And second, the the resurrection means that our promise of resurrection is believable and solid. All right? In 1 Corinthians 15.20, it says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Right, in the first fruits here, Paul is calling back to, uh, in, in the Old Testament, uh, the, the first bundle of grain that was harvested was given to the Lord as a token that all the harvest belonged to him and was dedicated to him. Right? And so Jesus is this first fruits. It is, it's his resurrection that is the guarantee of our resurrection, that all humanity will be resurrected. 
And because he comes back, we will be resurrected and we will, when his second coming, we are going to live eternally in actual, physical, glorified bodies. But without sin, without death, without corruption, without pain, without sorrow. And we will live eternally in the presence of God in the new heavens and the new earth. And it's going to be awesome. And so because we believe this, because we believe that we will be resurrected one day, we have hope in a world that is still full of sin and death and corruption. We hold on to hope and we don't mourn as those who have no hope. right? Because we know that one day Jesus is going to set right all the stuff that's going, on, going wrong all around us. Right? And it doesn't mean that we don't mourn. It doesn't mean that we don't suffer. It doesn't mean that you know, we don't weep because of death. Because we know that death is not God's plan. But even in the midst of that tragedy, of that pain, we hold on to the hope that the resurrection proves for each one of us. And at Jesus' return, we know that the righteous are going to be resurrected to eternal life and that the wicked will be resurrected to eternal conscious torment. But the reality is that God doesn't want anybody to perish, right? But he wants everybody to come to repentance. That's from 2 Peter 3.9. And so, because of this, you and I can join with the disciples and the apostles and all of the the early church and the, the evangelists throughout history as we proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That we can proclaim that Jesus is alive, the Son of God who humbly came to die on a Roman cross as the sacrifice, as the propitiation for our sins, right? That He is alive, that He is seated at the right hand of God, and that He is coming again and will restore us into right relationship. Well, He already has done that. That we will be resurrected in new, glorified bodies to live with God for all of eternity. This is our hope found in the resurrection. Amen. Awesome. So will you stand with me and we're just going to close in prayer. Lord Jesus, you are worthy. Wow. Wow. Jesus, you are so good. We thank you that you uh, endured the cross. God, we thank you that for the joy set before you, you endured the shame and the pain, the humiliation of the cross to pay the penalty that we could never pay. We thank you, Jesus. And we thank you and we glorify you, Jesus, as our resurrected Lord, who is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And we we celebrate and we uh, rest in the assurance of that resurrection today. Lord, and I just pray that each person here, God, that they would... uh, that they would feel your presence today, God. That they would know you. God, that they would uh, feel, uh, they would be rest assured in the reality of your resurrection. God, that they would know, that they know, that they know in the bottom of their hearts that you are real. And that you have sent the Holy Spirit as a seal upon them, promising their own resurrection, Father. And so we speak your blessing over this church this morning. And we give you glory. In your name we pray. Amen.